Hello, welcome to the Why Got Why podcast. I am here with our illustrious producer, Dylan Carnival, and then our fantastic co-host, Wow, John Amayo. Fantastic. Not faithful. Last time it was faithful. This time it's fantastic. Well, you, you encouraged me to up the game. I did so encourage you. Yeah, today, I basically made fun of him. In the no. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Um, so today we are talking again about the Enneagram, and we are here with Pastor uh, Sean Palmer from Ecclesia Church out in Houston. Important things for you to know, he's a San Antonio Spurs fan, loves theology, started his own uh, podcast, uh, works with Missio Alliance. So he's been a fantastic follow, and he recently wrote a devotional for Enneagram 3s, and so he just brings a wealth of perspective that's practical, theological, and informative to this conversation. Hey, John, let's start talking about our question. What's our question today? The question of the day is, why should I use the Enneagram for my own personal uh, self-awareness? So... I feel like this is a great question, a question certainly, Pedro, I know that you are passionate about, as am I. I'm not quite as passionate as he is, but, you know, I have a certain amount of passion for the Enneagram. So I think this is going to be fun, at least for me. I'll just sit here with you guys and listen to you talk about this, maybe, more than actually be in it, but it'll be fun. It'll be a fun combo, so. Well, and and just to get us started, I think the danger of the Enneagram is when you start typing other people or you start kind of putting people into a box because it's really inviting people to get out of the box that they're in. And that kind of starts with your own self-awareness. So I think Sean brings a lot of experience and conversation to that. So, hey, Sean, let's get started, man. Why don't we start here? One of my favorite things that you said when we talked about it, you're like, the Enneagram might be the croc, but uh, it's the the truest croc I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think there is for me in all things, and this actually, uh, I could describe this in Enneagram language because I am a three. And of my stance, like, I think there's a healthy skepticism. So when people say, you know, just like John's question, like, why should I use the Enneagram? I think everybody should ask that question every step along the way and continue to ask ourselves like, oh, is this true? Because one of the things that frequently happens with the Enneagram is that people hear some things that are descriptive of them and they forget very core Enneagram teaching, which is that you actually do harbor within yourself traits, behaviors, motivations of all nine numbers. And so they'll hear a number that has maybe two or three more descriptors of them than some of the others. And then we start to live into that number where it's like, Mm. well, sixes do this or eights do this or Mm. fours do this. Mm. And so that actually starts to direct our behavior instead of asking all the time, um, you know, is that true of me? Like, is that, so I think it's a really healthy skepticism to say like, this may all be a, bunch of nothing. Um, but I say the same thing about, um, I say the same thing about Myers-Briggs. I say the same thing about uh, scripture when I read it, like, um, is this true to who I experience God to be? Is my experience of God limited? Is it true to scripture? Is scripture true to the nature of the world? Is scripture true to the nature of people? Like I'm always floating those ideas around in my head. So I think that's when someone says, you know, because when folks, you've heard, had these conversations, right? When folks first get in the Enneagram and that's yeah. all they want to talk about with other people. And uh, you run across somebody who doesn't want to talk about it. And it's all, oh, that's just a bunch of, that's just a bunch of hooey or whatever. Yeah. Like I think that's a good, good moment to stop and think, oh, let me constantly, let me, maybe it is. So that's, that's my, that's my stance as, as an Enneagram author and teacher, <laughs> like you need to test the spirits on this thing all the time. I love it. I love it. I think that's such a great perspective. So, okay, let's go there. Like you are now an Enneagram author, but there was at one point in your, in your glorious life, a point at which you had no idea what the Enneagram was probably right. I'm assuming, unless you were raised in the Enneagram since birth. Uh, and so, which many, I, I don't know of many people that were, but anyway, uh, what, when did you first discover this? 
Well, I tell people, and in the the speaking by the numbers book, which comes out in 2021, yeah, 2021, I tell the story at the beginning of that book. I had the best introduction to the Enneagram that just about anyone could imagine. I was invited to a retreat in uh, Connecticut like six or seven years ago. Mm. And a friend invited me, and I walk into the room that night, and it's folks like I'm there, and Ian Cron, Suzanne Stabile. Aaron Nequist, um, the Gungers, like Michael, I mean, yeah, David Gunger and, and his dad and just all sorts of really incredibly talented, gifted people. And there was a lady there who I'd never met before, never even heard her name before, um, named Suzanne Stabile. And I had only heard of the Enneagram in a passing conversation one time at dinner with Brian McLaren. We were talking about it. He mentioned someone else that he knew who was an eight on the Enneagram. And I didn't know what an eight on the Enneagram was. I just knew that when Brian said it, who Brian is like one of the most generous people on the planet. When he said it, it wasn't a compliment. (laughs) 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 Like, well, you know, he was like, okay, like it wasn't a, it wasn't a dig, but it wasn't a compliment. And so that next day, so that was, that was uh, one evening. And the next day on our calendar for the day, our schedule, it just said Enneagram work all day. And that next morning, uh, Ian Cron got up, you know, Ian and Suzanne wrote the book, uh, the road back to you, which is now a Godzilla bestseller, you know? And he said, I'm going to step aside here and, uh, let who I think is the best Enneagram teacher on the planet teach. And Suzanne did her basic know your number workshop that day. And, um, I, I mean, it was, it's just a surreal experience. I'm in the back of the room sitting at a round table and Suzanne's husband, Joe is to my right. And Ed Gunger, who is David and Michael Gunger's dad is to my left. And, uh, it's just, I mean, I mean if that doesn't make you an Enneagram devotee, I don't know what does. <laughs> so, uh, I came back home and we spent a couple other days there doing some contemplative liturgy stuff. And was kind of when they come to my house, which is sit on my desk in a pile for a while until I get to them. But in that, in the meantime, I had uh, my oldest, my oldest daughter who was um, 10 or 11 at the time and just always been pretty precocious and a really smart kid picked up Richard Rohr's book, The Enneagram and Christian Perspective and started reading. I don't even know where that book is right now. Like it's somewhere floating around the house. And she started reading it and read it cover to cover. And she comes back and she goes, I think I'm a one. Hmm. And it's like, Oh, let's, let's talk about that. And so she and I dialogue for, you know, I mean, this took, it was just kind of on the back burner. And then the people at church wanted to learn some more about it because I had mentioned it someplace and uh, I bought some help and some teaching from Suzanne and some other people. And we worked through it and little by little over time um, it's become more and more of uh, a way that I help myself show up in the world and see the world. And what's good for me and my location and my context is that everyone on our church staff is familiar with the Enneagram and it does give us a language to talk to one another. And so I want to be careful because I mean, there are a thousand Enneagram schools and everybody thinks something a little bit differently and everybody adds to the conversation and it's so generative and generous that uh, that's one of the things I love about that community. So the way I see the Enneagram is the Enneagram is not a thing. It's not a thing in the universe. Like I'm behind a microphone, which is a thing. And like, I feel it. My feelings about this moment are a thing. Um, It's a language that we use to talk Mm. about the thing. Mm. Um, And so for me, the Enneagram is a language and the more people. So when I say to someone, I'm a three on the Enneagram, which is the way I talk about it when I have more serious conversations. When people ask me, say, what's your Enneagram? I say, I'm a three. But when I talk to people who are serious, I say, I am a three on the Enneagram, right? Mm. Because that's not who I am. Mm. Like, I'm not a three. Um, like, I'm Sean. I'm Malia and Catherine's dad. I'm Rochelle's mm. husband. I, um, all of those things are way more important. But that gives us a shared language to talk about the hard, beautiful realities of life. Mm. that's how I came to the Enneagram. That's kind of where I am with it today. 
Well, I just want to kind of ask you a follow-up question. Did you kind of figure it out that you identified with the three on that weekend or was that later work after talking with your daughter or how did that process look for you? You know, for some people it's, I mean, I've known people it's taken years to figure out um, where they, where they feel like they fit. For me, it was instant. Mm. Like it was, um, I mean, even that like, okay, just going on that trip, like I had the perfect clothes and I woke up that morning, it was 17 degrees and snow was, it was historic snow that year in that part of the country. It was piled up on the side of the streets, nearly six feet, you know, like nearly six feet. Like I got up, I worked out that day. I, you know, had all my, you know, like that was just the way that I moved in the world. Like all of those very typical things that people who know the Enneagram think of when they think of threes, mm. like I, that's just me. Like, and I had an Enneagram coach a couple of years ago I was talking with and I, I was thinking, well, maybe I've just spent a lot of time in stress and I'm not really a three. Maybe I'm, uh, yeah, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a six and he just shook his head. He goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have been told by folks, like I am the most three, three <laughs> that they've ever met. And I will tell them that is only because they have never met Ryan Serhant. <laughs> do you know? Do you know who Ryan Serhant is? I don't. I know. You, you don't need one. No, no, no. 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 Okay. So if you wanted to look at what um, the stereotypical unhealthy three, he could be anything. And I'm sh I don't know that he even would know the enneagram, but he is a real estate broker in New York. He has a show on Bravo. I think it was called Sell It Like Serhant. He was oh. on Million Dollar Listing, and he has show, but like. I, he went to New York to be a model uh, and like just go, go to YouTube and yeah. look up Ryan Thurman, find his blog. And like a day, he has like a day in the life of, and like, Oh, like this guy. And this is the way we talk about it too, especially in our family has so much three energy. And that's, um, you know, and that's another way that we around here to kind of talk about Enneagram stuff. We really talk about it as, as a wound and an energy. Mm. So, yeah, 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 I love that. Uh, it didn't. It didn't take me long. But I was a three. Like I was done for the day. I could have left. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you? What? How did you respond when you found out that you were a three? Did like for me when I like. Uh, I first diagnosed, I first diagnosed, I don't know what you call it. What do you, what do you call it? I don't know. Assessed identified. my, identified myself as a seven. I thought I was like, well, I'll pick that up. And then my wife and I were talking about it. And I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast or not before, but I, but she was like, you know what? I think that's what you want other people to think you are. And she said, I, I don't know if that's what you really are. Then we started to listen to this podcast, actually, Ian Cron about twos. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. That's what I really am. And uh, it, I had this sinking feeling in my stomach. Did, how did you respond when you found out, like, as a three, how did you respond to that? Just like, oh, yeah, that's great. I'm a three. That's who I am. Yeah. Or, or did you get the sinking feeling in the stomach at the same time? Um, it was a little bit of both. So I felt um, – I felt I, – I did not feel exposed, but I felt known and lots of threes feel exposed or vulnerable in that moment. Yeah. But I also liked it. Like, and, and that's the thing about all the numbers in the aggressive stance, those three sevens and eights tend to like our numbers. Mm. So when we hear them, we don't have as much of the pushback that other numbers hear when they hear themselves described. Mm -hmm. um, we hear our numbers, especially threes. I think this is true, particularly of threes. Like when we hear our number, we think, yeah, you should be like that too. <laughs> My son, who like, who claims he's an eight, right? I mean, you know, yeah. he's he's fifteen now, so I think he's he's you know he's he's got a pretty good handle on himself. He he, we went through the whole thing and said, which number do you think you are? You know, and he said, I'm an eight. I win. That was his. <laughs> that was what he. <laughs> yes, I win. So anyway, similar to what you're saying, but, but it's very. I mean, so. Um, yeah, three sevens and eights tend to like their numbers, um, and so when I heard it, I felt like, oh yeah, like it, it was just sort of matter of fact to me, which is one of the interesting nuances of threes because our our sin is deceit, right? Mm. 
is that um, that is very true. Like we are constantly kind of shading things. Mm. But what's also true of threes is once they see it, acknowledge the truth, they can never unsee it. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, and, and like the denial of it and the deceitful part of it, it falls away. So once you, we can help threes see something as a reality, um, that's why, I mean, quite frankly, that's why so many threes are in the fitness industry is that they wake up one day and, and they finally deal with this. They either, they feel like, or they think they see something that they don't like. And once they see it, they can't unsee it. And that leads to a great deal of unhealth. Mm. Um, eating disorders, um, like over exercising, all of those things. Um, lots of, lots of aggressive energy and things like the fitness industry. Plus in America, because America is so productivity conscious, threes hear themselves describe and think like, that's just the way the world works. Mm. Like this is how, this is just how you do it. Um, so yeah. So I want to have a little fun with you because it, the questions is about self-awareness. And I mentioned this before the podcast, I actually think this would help our listeners. So you were recently interviewed about Michael Jordan, the Enneagram and the last dance. Um, I want to, I want to caveat this. Um, we don't know these individuals, uh, as Sean would say <laughs> it, as he shares his opinions, uh, he doesn't know Michael Jordan, but we're hoping to get a retweet campaign and <laughs> he's sharing about energy, but I guess I'd be curious to hear when you saw that, uh, documentary and as you mm -hmm. think about self-awareness, how, what would you glean from just listening to Michael Jordan, how he related to his teammates, how he related to himself? What were some things that stuck out? And then that's probably going to allow us to have a little bit more practical conversation for all of the rest sure. of us. Sure. So, yeah, that was on the Around the Circle podcast with my friends TJ and, and, and Jeff Cook. And they typically do fictional characters. Um, and they're, they're really smart Enneagram guys. And so they want to do one with the last dance. And we made all of those caveats that you just made. We don't know these people. Like this is just only for what we can observe. So that having been said, um, I picked up so much eight energy from Michael Jordan. And so a lot of people thought, oh, three, three. And that's because he was so competitive, which is um, very uh, natural for threes. And because he wanted to win so badly. But the thing that Michael Jordan doesn't do, and he has a lot of it, is um, he doesn't, he tried to win games. He never tried to win people. Mm. Uh, and that's way more eight energy than three energies. So remembering that they're all in, that threes and eights are both in the aggressive stance. So when they see the world, they feel like they can do something about it. They can leave an imprint on the world. They want to do something. And so um, his, doggedness like he didn't care if his teammates liked him mm -hmm. uh, and he didn't care if his opponents liked him. he just really did like and threes really care about that and they don't threes don't always act like they care about it but they really threes are ultimately trying to win people mm. not um not whatever it is that is ostensibly up on offer to be one so if they win so a three wants to be financially successful so that he or she can win financially successful people. Mm. Uh, so that's, so that's what I saw in his behavior and the idea like, um, uh, threes don't create enemies mm -hmm. like fictional enemies yeah. <laughs> and Michael Jordan did and eights do that like eight. Um, so because they're all aggressive cause they're both aggressive types they're constantly moving against something. Mm. And so when you're an aggressive type, um, and that's, and that's to me, and you'll hear me talk about it a lot is the beauty and the power of Enneagram work is in stances, not just in knowing your number, but you have to know your number to move into stances. And so, um, as threes and eights move through the world, we're always moving against, always mm. moving. against. We have to have something to move against. Um, and those sorts of, some taking things personally, threes don't want to take anything personally. Like that's, that, um, threes, uh, we feel what you're feeling. 
like on a deep and now we'll deny our own feelings, mm. but we feel what you feeling, what you feel. Um, and so from that aspect, that's why I would say that Jordan is much more likely an eight than he is a three. Mm. Well, and just to kind of keep going, because for those of you that are still listening in your you think the Enneagram's a crock. That's okay. But like when when I rewatch the episode, like so as a two, hearing about Michael Jordan like have Steve Kerr punch him, but then have the ultimate respect to hear about Michael Jordan, like there's a moment when he cries because he's basically saying no one like cared like I paid a price for this and if you don't want to win, like just don't do it. And like all of a sudden I began to think of like the eights in my life of like, because we see through a filter, they think that they're actually helping you when mm -hmm. you're receiving. And that's kind of where the self-awareness part comes in is that right. we think the whole world sees the way we see. Right. Right. And so like, because you are a two, like, I mean, you have access to that eight energy in a much more in a, in a direct way, mm -hmm. but absolutely like, like eights are doing it. For, so Michael Jordan, the reason he cries in that moment, if he's an eight, I mean, I would, I would conjecture is because like, I didn't just do this for me. Mm -hmm. I did this for you. Mm -hmm. And like the things that he, um, the things that he's offended by, like disloyalty, um, not showing up and putting in your best, like, um, for, for the group. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I think he, I think early in his career, um, there's a, there's this tenor in his career that he is trying to knock out the whole world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Like he's taking on the whole world. Right. And that is really eight energy, which eights can use really well and in powerful and beautiful ways if they can focus it on something that matters. But they need people alongside the um, to bring people along with them and not just run over them. It seems to me like everyone in Jordan's sphere from those days on some level felt run over by him, including Scotty Pippen. If you listen to what Scotty mm -hmm. said after the documentary was over. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's really interesting. As you're describing threes and eights, particularly here, I just, something stands out to me that you said before was in the context of your family. You talk about wounds a lot mm. when you talk about the mm -hmm. Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Do you think, do you think people, does each type carry around a wound with them or, or is it just certain ones that, that wounds have really shaped them? How, how do you perceive that? Yeah. So, um, every type carries a wound. Hmm. Um, and my memory isn't good enough so I can kind of go around circles. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> great. Uh, but every type carries a wound and there, I mean, there's some really good work on this and, um, honestly, I, Christopher Hewitt's new book, The Enneagram of Belonging. Mm. Um, I know that he's kind of non-persona. He's persona non grata right now in a lot, lot of different circles, and I totally get and understand why. And I'm not telling anybody that they should or shouldn't access his work. I would just say this. like His work on that mm. is really helpful, um, separate and apart, if we can do separate and apart from any other things that's happened with him over the last year. But he's not the only one that has... Um, tapped into that. So there are some other places where you can find that. Um, I'm thinking like particularly maybe of, um, Alice Freiling's work. Uh, but every, every, this is how our numbers are formed, right? There is a wound hmm. that we suffer usually as children. And then our body, our soul, our spirit surround that wound. And we tell our, we tell ourselves, um, that will never happen again. Mm -hmm. And so we build out from there our personality. And our personalities are designed to keep 
that wounding from happening again. We can be wounded in a lot of different other ways and kind of move past it. And sometimes if there's, if there's an abusive relationship, if there's a rape or something like that, it can kind of swoop in. It can be a trauma that is so massive that it overtakes. But usually what happens is that trauma hits in the same spot as the other wound. Mm. Um, and, and we tell ourselves, Oh, that's never going to happen. So, um, like, so, um, well, let me, let me jump in. Yeah, go ahead. I had, I had an example and it just left my head. Well, go ahead. and, uh, just, just because, I mean, you tell me if I'm getting, so as a two, I think the wound that I kind of feel, and it's probably described other, but this is how I relate to it is you're not wanted like, or you're not loved. And so what that caused me to do my whole life was I need to be needed to be loved. So I look back at like my twenties and like, I would go to Starbucks and buy all my friends drinks because I didn't want to face if they wouldn't love me or not. I think I helped like six or seven friends move because in my head I'm negotiating if I don't do this for them that, and you know, I can even see, you know, so twos, you know, you mentioned twos go to eights, you know, when they're Mm -hmm. in stress, there's been healthy times in my life that I saw eight come out that there was clarity, but in the unhealthy times, I'm so angry because I feel like I was unwanted and used. So I don't know, does, is that kind of the work that you're talking about or does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so what twos learn as children is, um, like if I can, if I can be needed, Mm. I can be loved. Mm. And that's another way to talk about the Enneagram too. That's really helpful. Not the Enneagram number two but the Ingram also is that these are modalities, behaviors, um, motivations that we all formed early in life in order to be loved. Mm-hmm. So this is what I did to be loved. And it turned out that in my system, it worked. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I have a, for instance, I have a very good friend who is a father. He's the youngest of six kids and his parents were building a very successful business um, when he was younger, but he, because he was so much younger than his siblings, they were old enough to be in trouble a lot, right? When, when he was, when he was a kid. And so what he learned as a child is, um, the best way to survive in this system is to keep your head down and not need much. Mm. Uh, And so that is, those are the first running tracks, right. Of becoming a five, like Mm. I'm going to have minimal needs. I'm going to become self-sufficient. Matter of fact, I'm going to become so self-sufficient that the things that I know I'm going to keep to myself, Mm. um, kind of warehouse all right here together. And like, if I cannot bother mom and dad, keep myself preoccupied. So what do you do as a kid to pre- keep yourself preoccupied? Like you play games that you can play by yourself. Mm. You read books. You And oh man, when I'm this way because of the other things in my life, mom and dad really appreciate it. Mm. And, they, and they love me. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, but then you, you grow up and you go, well, hell, I've been overlooked my whole life. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I was just even thinking the moment that it became clear to me that I'm a two and you can push back on this, John, I'd be curious for you. My, um, my sister's a cancer survivor. And when she's five years older than me, I was two, she was seven. Um, she was throwing up in a trash can and I was pretending to throw up next to her. And Mm. I, I just like that memory, like I remember it so clearly and my parents brought it up and my parents are wonderful parents. And I think, I, I think sure. Ian Crone says, you know, we love imperfectly and we receive love imperfectly. But from a child, I realized like, again, all of those messages that we, I need to be needed, like in that moment that kind of encapsulated my journey in finding out to be a two 
and to get exhausted and and to like not be able to say no. That was kind of the moment. I don't know. Do you have one of those moments, John, or no? I don't know if I have an exact moment for me that I realize this really shaped me being a two as much as I I have overarching feelings from certain times. I, I would say I would say there was one time when I was very young that I I was put in the hospital and for croup back in the day. And I was isolated in a tent for, I don't know, a few days. You know, that's what they used to do. And I just remember being in this tent all alone. And I think my parents were on the outside of it, but I remember just they're feeling the loneliness of that and the separation of that and being like, oh, I do not want this. Mm. Like, and, and I think that's kind of been a defining thing in my life, having that feeling there kind of underneath the surface of my life. Mm. Like I will be alone. If you don't, if you don't, you know, if, the, if you alienate this person or alienate that, but you're going to be alone. And, and so uh, that's been something that I've had to, to do work on in my own life is to, is to do that. But I'd be curious, Sean, about you, like being a three, very image conscious type, very, go-getter type as well like is there something that you feel like you can look at in your life and go wow this really you know some of it's hard wiring some of it's things that have happened to us any any instance in your life that you're like this kind of contributed to that tendency for me yeah um and when i have a i have a ton of three moments Mm -hmm. like uh and it's interesting i think i have actually my number actually solidified as I got older. I would say that I was kind of a soft three, um, but it's the inverse, right? So um, when I was a kid, my dad was in graduate school. He was working. My mom was working. Um, I had an older brother and I don't have very many memories from when I was super young, but I do remember being about four or five and playing junior t-ball, which I'm sure was more hilarious than it was competitive (laughs) having now seen, but for whatever reason at the time I took it seriously and our team, like, I don't remember keeping track of wins and losses. Uh, I don't, I remember very few things, but I do remember two things. I remember picture day when we took our, remember the end of season awards and our team came in first place and like we're all down there in the, the baseball fields and they've got all the teams out there and they're in their uniforms they're doing the award ceremony each age group and so they start with junior t-ball um and uh, our team came in first place and i won the award that year mind you i had no idea what any of this was i didn't even know what i was doing i mean <laughs> And I won the award for um, having the best batting average, which is a funny thing to give for junior (laughs) T-ball. And I had this, like everybody, because it was, because they started with the youngest and worked to the highest. So junior T-ball was the first set of awards, right? Mm -hmm. And I'd never been to anything like that. Um, And Everyone in the stands, all of the adults in the stands, everybody cheered. Mm. And I could, I could never in my life seen like, there are hundreds of people here, which probably wasn't hundreds, probably like 75. Like, <laughs> you know, everything's bigger, like when you're a little kid. Um, and like, everybody cheered. And I thought, this is the best feeling in the <laughs> world. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then like there have been just like miniature, I mean, or even large, like those circumstances. Like my my brother, who I love a lot, I have a brother three years older than me, and every year, um, he just wasn't a very talented baseball player, and that was a big deal in our family. Um, and every year he would win the award for sportsmanship, and I'd be like, who cares about you know? Like that's the that's what they give to the nice kid who can't play. And you became a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's plenty of a, there's plenty of pastors who aren't good sports. Let's let's face it, you know. Yeah. But anyway. But, but I mean, you think you think about that though like um I'm a pastor at a large church which means that everybody doesn't know you 
and everybody can't talk to you. And so when, um, and, I'm a, and I'm a teaching pastor, right? Um, so everybody knows me that I don't know them. And so how they say thank you at our church before COVID and we met live is that like after a sermon, they clap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like we have tried so many different things to get the clapping out. Like I've been the champion of like, let's do something where right at the end, like you can't clap, you know, like, and they still do. And who, you know, that's, that's tailor made mm-hmm. for a three mm-hmm. and really soul withering for an unhealthy three. Mm-hmm. So I think something that'll be helpful for our question, we've spent a lot of time on like the aggressive stance. Uh, Marilyn Vansel, who, uh, you know, wrote a book about the Enneagram, we've had her on the podcast. She went through all the types. As you think about self-awareness, why don't you start with the withdrawing stances and just Mm kind of walk us through maybe some conceptions, misconceptions, um, because I think that's where your greatest work is. And then if you go from the withdrawing to the dependent uh, to the aggressive, I think that might be helpful for our listeners just to start their minds to think through. Yeah. And Marilyn's book is really helpful too. And I I keep coming back to stances one, because I truly do believe that that's where sort of quote unquote magic of the Enneagram is, but it's also because I'm writing a book that has to do with stances and that's just kind of on the top of my head. Um, but we're, we're good so, with that. We're good yeah. with that. <laughs> um, so there are, just like there are three um, primary triads, um, stances also deal with the three centers of intelligence. So every person has three centers of intelligence, thinking, feeling, and doing. And different schools talk about these in different ways, but this is the most straightforward way for me is thinking, feeling, and doing. And every person is born kind of like a three-legged stool with these components. We all think, we all feel, we all do. But that early childhood wounding, depending on what type it, type it is, um, tells one of those intelligent centers, we don't need you. Mm. You're, um, you're, you're wounded. And so that intelligent center steps back and another one steps forward. Mm. Right. And so... That's really interesting. I've never heard it talked about that way. That's really interesting. You froze there for a second. I didn't hear you. Oh, so sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I, that that is very interesting. I hadn't heard about it talked that way before. Yeah, so you're both twos, right? And so, um, stance, so triads tell us what we are dominant in, right? So... Um, and then stances tell us what we're repressed in. Mm. Um, so the twos are in the dependent stance along with ones, twos and sixes. Um, which means that you move toward others. Um, which means that you are what we would call doing repressed. Mm. So, Hmm. Interesting. Explain that. Explain that. (laughs) Don't look into my soul too much, but you know, just enough so that I don't feel uncomfortable would be fine. Okay. (laughs) I'm kidding. Go ahead. I want to be clear. Like everybody, everybody does all three, right? right? Everybody thinks everybody feels everybody does. It's like, which does the leading, Mm -hmm. um, which is a secondary support for the leader and which one is repressed. Right. So for you, for twos, ones, twos, and sixes, doing um, is repressed and it's all, it shows up for every number in a different way. Um, so twos move toward others because you're dependent mm-hmm. for attention, like to gain attention. Um, that's not the same reason that ones and sixes move towards others. Ones and sixes, ones move toward others to earn autonomy. Um, and then sixes move toward others to earn security. Mm. And what it means to be doing repressed is I'll give you an example from, from my life. Cause my wife is a one. So she is, um, actually, I'm sorry. I said that backwards. She, <laughs> one, two, and six, I think you were repressed. Yeah. <laughs> so 
so this is I'm just so yeah, it's been a long day. Thinking repressed. You're you're good. Um, you're good. Yeah, it's all about which chapter I've been working on mostly because they have to go so deep. So they're yeah. thinking repressed. So um, as a two, you're feeling dominant, right? Because you are in the you are in um, the feeling triad, and you are thinking repressed. Mm. So, um, you move toward others to gain attention, which means that that creates that helper thing. So I'm surprised, like you said, you all had a producer right along there with you. Yep. The reason you have a producer is because, um, he's going to help you all think strategically about the podcast and all of the things that need to happen because so much of your energy is being spent relating Mm. to people, relating to each other, relating to them. Um, so he's a, um, he, he, identi- kind of he identifies as a two, by the way. So just, <laughs> yeah, good wow. old, th- we could just call this the two cast, but we do, but yeah. we do have an outside consultant who is not a two. I don't believe he identifies as a three. So yeah, anyways, that, we, yeah. we, we have a three own. that's doing the business for us behind the scenes where we do this. <laughs> so, so anyway, thinking, yeah. Thinking is about a kind of strategy and organizing kinds of thinking, not about like not being thoughtful mm-hmm. because I would imagine that throughout your life that mo- more times than not, people have said like, Oh, like you're so thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because you are, because you are too. And so, um, lots of different people put lots of different language around it. Um, but just to know that I think is a good starting point is that, your your instinct is to move toward people, but you're moving toward people to gain gain attention. Mm. So that those are those are the, the, a lot of little nuances. Like and that's what I said. Like stances. Like it's so incredibly um, nuanced of why we do what we do. That every person really should kind of like do a deep dive. Yeah. Into what their what their stance is. And what that looks like, because um, um, twos feeling dominant, supported by doing, because of where you are on the any eights, nines, and ones are right next to you, and they are doing dominant. Um, so that means like doing supports your feeling which means that thinking. So uh, I'm trying to think of a great example. Um, If someone needs something or you see an opportunity, you, you will hop in and do that thing before you've thought about whether or not this is the right thing to do, whether or not they want this thing to be done, um, what it's going to cost you to do it personally, both kind of like in, in dollars and cents, but also in energy and emotion. Mm-hmm. And someone will come alongside you and either you'll be mad about it later or disappointed. You were like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should have done this other thing. Um, that's what it means to be thinking repressed. Yeah. Like I felt it. I did it. Um, it's kind of that shoot ready aim sort mm-hmm. of thing that people talk about. <laughs> So that's that's just how it looks for for two. Let's um let's go to the withdrawing stance because they're the doing the rep- repressed, um, right? And and I also I think the withdrawing. So that's um four fives and nines. Four fives nine. And and I feel like they because they're doing repressed. There's some unfair ideas with them. So you know what would you say to four fives and nines? Yeah. So they do a lot mm-hmm. because you have to do things to function in the world. So what's really key for the withdrawing stance is that one, they're all withdrawing for different reasons. So we want to be clear about that. So, um, but they withdraw to get a better sense of themselves and their doing is, has to be centered on, things that are personally meaningful to them. Mm. Right. And so as a two, 
you will do something because you're in dependent stance that is meaningful to someone else. Right. Uh, fours, fives, and nines struggle to do things that aren't personally meaningful. Mm. So um, a nine will say like, if they say anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, when something needs to be done. Um, but they're moving, they're moving away from people. So where uh, one stance, uh, moves toward like you are like dependent stance moves towards withdrawing stance moves away. Nines move away for autonomy, like to have their own sense of self. Fours move away to gain, um, move away to gain attention. Mm-hmm. Like that, that push pull that they talk about with fours a lot mm-hmm. and fives move away from others to gain security. But if you want to help fours, fives and nines, to bring up their repressed center, which is what we talk about with stances a lot, is that you have to find things that are personally meaningful to them. So a friend of mine who, who's a nine, uh, I asked her, do you, do you make up your bed every day? Because a lot of fours I know don't. And I was trying to figure out, is this a, is this a number thing or is this a stance thing? And she says every day. And I asked her why? And she says, because it makes my world peaceful. Mm. Right. Um, so, but she hates exercising. Just, she would do it if a doctor told her that she was going to die. If she didn't, but short of that, she won't do it. Mm. Why? Because there's natural resistance and she's moving away from things. Like, so she's never going to get willfully, purposefully engage resistance. Um, I have a four close friend who loves exercising, but can't make up his bed. Right. Because it's not personally meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so I would say for folks, fours, fives and nines, what's important for them. And if I were like on a team with them, if I were working alongside them, if I were married one, we don't have any withdrawing numbers in our house. So, um, but to help, I would need them to help me see what's personally important to them and to give them a field to play in and they will do all day and all night, Mm. uh, in that field, but just who came up with the same busy work. Mm. Because so much of the world seems like busy work to them. Mm. Um, a friend of mine who's a five who literally who literally believes that putting on a belt is dressing up. <laughs> like, that's the like why would you want to? Why would you want to do that? Like it's unnecessary. Why would you want to need one more thing? <laughs> um, because he he wants that kind of. Um, like he wants that kind of security where he is um, secure in and of himself and doesn't need other people ever. Mm. Mm. Gotcha. The Mandalorian is a five probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the way. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. I'm just making that up. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know other stances. So Peter, you're going to have to fill this in. I, well, I, 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 well, I don't know them. Just one more. There's just one more. Favorite. So there you go. It's, it's the aggressive. I got, I got the Mandalorian. That's what I brought to the hey, table. Hey, today. the the aggr- <laughs> the aggressive, the the feeling uh, repressed. Yes, yeah, so we're feeling repressed, um, which doesn't mean that we don't feel. Um, it's just that uh, we have emotions that we don't emote. Mm. Uh, typically because they are not useful for what we're trying to do. Mm. So and partly because threes, sevens and eights are moving so fast through life that stopping for emotion seems like a waste of time. There's a lot of vulnerable for, for threes. It's a waste of time for eights. Um, it's a, it's a lot of vulnerability mm. um, for sevens. Like my youngest daughter is a seven. Um, like she's just not interested in feeling half of the emotions on the emotional spectrum to begin with. 
and there is no feeling to her as satisfying as the next feeling, mm. like whatever it is, like in the, whatever it is in the future. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so they actually, I mean, one of the, one of the things that I, I, I'm not totally sold on this, but I like is aggressive stance people move against, but I also like the word demand. Mm. Um, so, and it like eights demand autonomy, um, regardless of other people, like regardless of other people I want, um, set, um, what would I say? Security of other people, the security of other people. And, Threes, like me, demand attention regardless of others. So there's like, there is this like, you are going to do you and an aggressive number is going to do them. Mm. Like, and and, so we're a dependent stance person. You're going to do you and a dependent stance person is going to come wrong right aside, right beside you. Um, uh, but aggressive, like we just, uh, yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times. So this is a, a picture from our, my early married life. I mentioned before, my wife is a one and early in our marriage, we didn't have any kids. I didn't have to be at work till like nine or 10. Sometimes she had a very demanding job. She was the adolescent therapist at a mental uh, health hospital and she would come home just absolutely beat, just have a terrible day eat. She'd have still have notes to do and she'd want to crash out and go to bed. I got like eight fifteen, eight thirty, And I had friends who were like, let's go to a nine o'clock movie. Let's go to a nine thirty movie. Like we were, you know, 25 and I'd be like, yeah, I can do that. She's going to be in bed. She's going to be asleep. And, uh, she hated that. Like, and I didn't get it at all mm-hmm. to the point. So we had this argument about it. And she did not understand as a dependent stance person. We didn't know any of this. Then. She did not understand why I would want to be someplace else. She wanted me near. She thought that as her husband, I would want to be near her, even if she were sleeping. Cause that's what she would want. Mm. Uh, you're going to be sleep anyway. Like, why do I, why, what's the point of me sitting around here? Because I'm going to go do, I'm going to demand regardless of others. Uh, because that's my, you do. And, and we actually believe the world would work better that way. Like if you went and did the thing that you really wanted to do, and I went and did the thing that we wanted to do. I wanted to do. We would both bring passion to it and energy to it. And we could negotiate the parts of our lives that overlapped, of course. But why should I wait around for you? Mm. Which is why, what people need to know about aggressive stance folks is that we're kind of always saying, why should I wait around for you? Mm. Yeah. All for different reasons but that's what we're always saying. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Man, that was such a good description of all the stances. I'd never I'd never heard all of that explained in that way before. So thanks for taking the time to do that, John. That was really good. Now I got to go and do some more like analysis of my soul after I leave here. So <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm going to take the, the the best book I think for stances. Um if you're if you're a reader, um, and you guys can drop this in your show notes is Hurley and Donson's book, discover your soul potential oh. uh, because they, they walk through all of the numbers and I borrow a lot of their language because I think it's the, the best book on it. And then they talk about each of the stances sort of in brief. And so the, the soul work and all of that is as someone who is feeling repressed, like, uh, so I talk best when I talk about myself, like, to be able to train myself to experience feelings, sit in feelings, um, consider my own feelings. Um, 
so twos and threes, I like, um, neither one of us are really considering our own feelings to the extent that we should right now. In mm. this. Um, but we're both considering each other's feelings mm-hmm. to a great degree. Um, and what that does is say, okay, what are, how can I start to bring up this thing inside me that I've repressed so that I can be a more well-balanced person? Mm-hmm. Uh, like part of me for me as a three has been to realize like, Oh, I really do believe that feelings don't matter. Mm-hmm. Like that, like to some people that's anathema, right? Like, so our fours, mm-hmm. um, like they would not understand that at all. Uh, but to me that makes, and threes, other threes, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. So, the way I think about the triad um, is, and I'll, I'll do it in the feeling triad since that's what all of us are. So we are all shooting out feelings all the time, right? Yep. Um, so a two shoots out, um, shoots out feelings, hoping to receive feelings back. Yeah, the constantly. great feeling cycle. That is yeah. the world. Yes, I get it. I get it. I, I, I jive with that. Yeah. The world is one big feeling cycle. Yeah. I give out feelings. You give feelings. I give out. You give. It's beautiful. It's great. It's, it's, not, it's yeah. not that hard. It's just yeah. you scratch my back. I scratch your back. It's not that difficult. If all the world thought like us, it would be fantastic. Yeah. Anyway. So like yours are just going out there. You're receiving them back in. Like yeah. that's the flow out in, out and in. Right. Threes kind of at the center of that triad. Um, like we're receiving them from everyone and we're taking ours and like sticking them in the backpack as they come uh, up. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's like this flow of feeling constantly, constantly. Fours are shooting theirs out and it's like, Oh, they're hitting a wall. Mm-hmm. The feelings go out and it hits the wall and it comes right back at them. <laughs> always like in the, like, you know, like they're, they're thinking about their feelings. They're feeling about their feelings. They're talking to other people about their feelings. <laughs> and so, um, like that's just, and, and like that happens all around the, um, that happens all the way around the, the Enneagram is whatever triad you're in. the number in the middle three six or nine with a shock point like they're taking the thing that they should be shooting out and just sticking it down and keeping it themselves and receiving that from other people and then there's one where it's just like bouncing off a wall right so like you know eights nines and ones like that anger triad like that's why ones have that self-critical thing because like they're shooting out this anger but it's hitting that wall and coming right back at them constantly Mm. constantly yeah, um, yeah. Nines are taking their shooting out their anger. They're taking it and putting it in a backpack. Like can't be angry. Can't be angry. Can't be angry. Um, until eventually uh, they just explode. Yeah. With some sort yeah. of anger. Yeah. And then eights are like, just like angry. Shooting it out. Yeah. Like, full on. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> like there it is. There it is. And like have no, like, like you just said about feelings, like, yeah, bring them on. Like, that's like mm-hmm. when it comes to anger, like I, I hate being angry. Mm-hmm. Eight comes to anger. That's, a, that's like a home. That's where we want to be. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh man. Uh, we, we totally probably could do another hour and we haven't even talked about the San Antonio Spurs and basketball, which is one of my favorite things about you. Um, and uh, congratulations, 22 years is a long time. I, I am sorry. Um, I'm a Nets fan, but don't hold that against me. But we have two kind of questions to close. Um, and I'd recommend all of our listeners, hey, just Google Sean Palmer, look up Enneagram. A lot of this stuff he said before, but you know this kind of this interview, I, I think it's helpful, but also... Um, go back to Marilyn Vansel's podcast. The one question I have for you is, you know, let's say someone made it through this episode and they don't know their number or maybe they do. Like, what would be your answer to 
why should I consider the Enneagram for self-awareness? Not thinking about anybody else, but just for myself. What questions or things should I be doing to think about? Because I think it's Clay Scroggins has this question. He asked people to ask other people. He says, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And I think that's the question that we're trying to figure out here. What would you say to that person trying to figure out the self-awareness piece to this? Yeah. So the reason to use it, um, other, my first reason I would tell people and I have told people it's been the single most helpful thing for me and our family. But secondly, because it gives you the reins for transformation. Mm. And so it's different from going through like talk therapy. Mm. Um, and it's different from taking a test somewhere that tells you how you behave but it allows you to delve into your motivations for what you do and how you think and feel and do in the world. And it gives you a place to go. So many things just don't give you a place to go with uh, your own self growth and development. So I would say like, do you want to know about you? And, and because Enneagram can do that. You can go to a know your number or something similar, read a book. Or do you want to do the work about you? And once the people who want to do work might take the Enneagram seriously because it does offer paths for transformation. Like you, you, you get what you, how you behave, like you, what is compulsive and instinctual to you, but you also get a place to go to change what's compulsive and instinctual about you. Mm. Mm. I love that. I love that. I think that's well said on your part as well. So there's here's the one last question we ask, Sean. Every time we get together with people, here's the question. What would Jesus have to say about this? That's kind of our final question on every podcast. So I don't know if Jesus would have to say anything about the Enneagram. I, I have no idea. Maybe he would. Maybe he would say, stop it. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. But, um, but let's say he doesn't say stop it. Well, I'll let you decide. You could say he says stop it. You'll have the final word. Peter and I will go first and then let you have the final word. Okay. Um. So I don't know if this is going to, this kind of just came to me while I was listening to you, Sean. Uh, I'm going to verbally process this and maybe afterwards find out it's heresy. You know, I'm preaching on 2 Corinthians 10, um, verse 5, and it says, take every thought captive. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking about as a two- how important that verse is for me as someone that's thinking repressed. Um, I'm thinking about what the Bible says to in Proverbs, guard your heart for it's a wellspring of your life. You could probably say that for all of those, but I'm thinking specifically for feeling repressed people. And then I'm thinking about for doing repressed people, you know, that uh, in Colossians, it says, you know, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And I'm just thinking about those three things, and I'm going to just specifically relate to taking every thought captive. I think what Jesus would say is any tool, whether it's a crock or not, that helps you see below the surface of what's really happening and also helping you take off the filters that you see the world is going to help you relate to, to Jesus better, but it's also going to help you relate to others. And... In some weird way, I'm not saying the word, the Greek word Enneagram is not in the Bible, but there's mm -hmm. definitely principles that are there that I'm picking up just even from listening to you. And I'm kind of left with this as someone that's thinking repressed. And I've seen that failure time and time again, take every thought captive, slow down. So that's kind of where I'd go. I don't know, John, what do you, what do you think? I don't know. As I was listening to Sean talk, I was just thinking about the fact that Jesus says the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's kind of tough to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't know yourself. And so as, as he was, as Sean, as you were talking, I'm just thinking about the importance of knowing ourselves and how even some of these, the Enneagram can be a help in knowing yourself so that, not, not just so that you know yourself, but so that you can love the people around you that God's placed in your life in the way that he calls us to. So um, 
that's where my mind went with it, why I think it would be valuable. But how about you? What would you say? Well, I like both of those things. That's uh, actually a lot of what I was going to say about, I think Jesus would say, um, like I talked about before, test the spirits, but like, um, like take every thought captive. Like the, the, there's not a tablet that descended from a mountain that's chiseled with the Enneagram on it. <laughs> um, but I mean, so many, so if you're like, uh, if you want to know what, why you keep returning to certain sins, um, this can help you with that. But it's, I have the same view of it as I have any book that I read, um, any seminar that I go to is that I am, um, uh, the thing itself is not holy, but I'm looking for what's holy in the thing. Mm. And, uh, I think Jesus would say, uh, whoever is not against us is for us. <laughs> um, when it comes to the, and if it's helpful, if it's helpful to draw you closer to me, then it's helpful. Mm. If mm. it's not helpful to draw you closer to me, then it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a really simplistic yet complex thing that you just said. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. If it's helpful in drawing you closer to me, then it's helpful. If it's not helpful in drawing you closer to me, then it isn't helpful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Folks, we have loved having Sean Palmer on here. We're going to have to have him on again. Um, and again, he his your three devotional is out for those that are threes, correct? Um, it's available for pre-order. It comes out October 6th. It's called 40 Days of Being a Three, which I, I say this is not just like to sell more books, even though that's the very three thing to say, <laughs> but like it's, it's written and all of the ones that are in the line because we're doing a, a devotional for every number on the Enneagram. Oh, cool. Um, but like I will buy the, the book for your one and for seven because those people live in my house. Mm. and hear your story told by somebody else, I think can be really helpful. So, you know, it comes out October. I know that's technically like within like the holiday Christmas window, but like if you've got a friend, a loved one who is one of those numbers, um, it's the kind of thing that might be really helpful for them. That's what we hope the impact is because it is on this very question that you mentioned at the end here about, um, about, uh, Greg, Greg Popovich just called you, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Keep... Speaking of, uh, so it's about transformation. And yes, that ringtone on my phone was Aloe Black, the man. So, <laughs> nice. Oh. Uh, we lost you for a little bit there. But um, so, yeah, it comes comes out October 6th. Uh, thanks so much. And um, yeah, be looking at that. That's through IVP. Um, and also, uh, don't forget, Sean is on uh, Facebook and Instagram um, and Twitter. So make sure you follow him there. Sean, thanks so much for being. I'm going to make my three comments now. Uh, use the hashtag WGW podcast. Follow <laughs> us at WGW podcast. Um, as I would say, write us a five-star review that's positive. As John would say, leave the review that you'd like, especially if it's five stars. So Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you have a great day.